All right, episode five kicking off. It's going by very, very fast. I don't know if we're getting better as we go here, but we're enjoying it. So we'll get into another another great week. The title race is getting really, really tight. The relegation battle is starting to break apart a little bit with a couple teams tearing off some runs we'll get into. And then the top four race also getting a little tighter with Villa doing what they're doing and Spurs continual, just absolute capitulation. So busy, busy week to get into and we'll kick it off. So the biggest game of the weekend, Arsenal, West Ham. Arsenal starting to show some cracks for the first time. I mean, going away to Liverpool, like we talked about, getting a draw when they should have gotten a win is, you could argue if that's cracks or not, or that's a, that's a good point, a way and a tough place to play. But then I, a big game against a team that should be West Ham, difficult in the London Derby, but in a title race, those are the games you got to win. And then did, you know, Arsenal fell apart a little bit and people talking about, are they, are they complacent? Or are they just not experienced enough? What is it? Is this a trend now? But, I don't know. What did you see? What did you see in that game? It was, a, it was a fun game to watch. It was a good game. It's some beautiful goals. But what did you think? What did you think of Arsenal? What did you think of West Ham? Yeah, it's been interesting. As I feel like we were just talking the other day about how it's potentially Arsenal's to win. And now it looks like it's up in the air. I appreciate you jumping on the pod here. I know you're a little bit under the weather. A little bit of uh, Jordan 97, game five, right? Tough it out, the sick game. So shout out to Jake here for toughen it out no excuses um, play like a champion but i apologize yeah, to uh, all the one people listening about my voice yes <laughs> to me and you listening in our cars <laughs> but yeah i thought that uh, we did touch on it before too about arsenal in terms of i thought that they had just some moments in the games where they just looked a little bit vulnerable and, and, and a little bit open um, and then obviously what happened with with liverpool doubled down with west ham it's, it's a tough place to play and then like you mentioned anything can happen in a london derby but if they go there and they're down a goal or and, and, and fight their way back and leave with a point against West Ham and the same thing at, against Liverpool, I think the narrative's a little bit different. But the fact that they started so brightly and, and were up 2 nothing in both games and, and look to have full control of it, I think that that kind of changes the narrative a bit. You know, they are a bit young. This is the first time that they're in this title race in, in such a long time. And a lot of those guys outside of Zinchenko and, and Jesus, they don't have that championship pedigree quite yet. So I think it makes a big difference, just that experience that Man City has right now, you know, finding their form right now where it looks like Arsenal's is, at moments it looks great, but I think large portions of that game were wide open and, and West Ham took full advantage of it. What'd you see? Yeah, I think it was a real, I didn't think about that other side. It's a good point about, hey, if they like claw, claw their way back into it and it's the same type of game where they ship the same type of goals, maybe a little bit lackadaisical or complacent at the top of the box or one of those turnovers, but then they fight their way back in. It's a championship mentality versus the other way around. I think that, you know, this is the, when you take a step back, this is the youngest team in the league. Right? And the fact that they've gone this long without any really type of a wobble, and I don't consider a draw to Anfield, even 2-0 up, really a wobble, is a huge testament to this squad because they are so young, they are so inexperienced, and they've been really only fighting for top four places. They haven't really gone on to anything like this and the consistency needed at this level. So I think one wobble isn't the end of the world, but you know, in this league where with the intense media pressure and Twitter and Arsenal fan TV, now everybody is going to be like, is on pins and needles now. For a game against Southampton, they should easily win, but this just amps up that pressure. So I'm really interested to see the following week. You know, the first 30 minutes, Arsenal were incredible. That first goal was 
in terms of obviously it's a tapping at the back post, but the overall passing and combination led the first goal it was one of the best goals you'll ever see, right? And same thing yeah. with this Odegaard's goal and Martinelli's beautiful cross and Odegaard's finish. They were dominating, pinging the ball around, great rhythm, great tempo, looked completely in control, and all the interchange was beautiful and, and they just looked like they looked like Man City. But I think maybe a little bit overconfidence coming to them, and that's the immaturity of them being maybe a little bit younger, where they just weren't tight enough in the back on certain situations, on the ball, in possession, and that and that hurt them a little bit. And then, like you said, they got a little bit opened up. Thomas Party has been such a key uh, role for them in that oh, yeah. in that pivot in that pivot in the central center center midfield. And I felt he got overran a little bit, and Declan Rice looked like he was shot out of a cannon and had something to prove, and he was all over the place. And I just don't think Party either matched that intensity and missed a little bit on his basis. He was trying to cover defensively and just made some misreads, and that left them a little bit open. But when you're that, when you're going for titles, you're so ruthlessly efficient at scoring those goals, but also shutting those games down. And you kind of see the comparison to the more experienced side with like Man City. Rodri just swoops everything up, right? Or like they afforded Fernandinho before that. Thomas Party, I think, really needs to grow into that role and be a little bit more the one to calm them down bring them together, play a little bit tighter, and be a little bit more conservative with, with the ball, not try to flip the ball over people's heads and side of the box and, and things like that. Because they release Jacques in a more attacking role, right? He likes to move almost to the wing a lot of the time. And so he's not that mature presence in the center of the park. So that's what I think left them down. I think they'll, they'll bounce back. But, you know, at the beginning of the year, you say, look, assuming they go to Southampton and you say they win, and you say, look, one game to play, you win, you win the league. You always take that, even if that is at the Etihad. And that's what Arsenal have, mm-hmm. right? The, they're still a point ahead. They still, you know, it's in their control and that, that's all you, you ask for. So I think this will really test their medal this next game. But I thought they played really well for, for long periods of the game and still showed, you know, the quality of champions. But it's just that little maturity that for the first time this season, I saw they, they lacked. And now it's going to be a, a huge testament to that group, to Arteta, you know, a bounce back game against what they should have Southampton, but you know, can they not over overlook that? But I was really impressed with the way they played in the thirty minutes and and Baltham in parts of the game. I mean, seventy two percent possession, eleven shots, five shots on target. I thought they they did a lot well. Yeah, I think you made a couple good points there. The the Thomas party, the the little flick there, and I agree. He just needs a little bit more. I think probably throughout the team a little bit more of that killer streak to where, hey, we're up 2 nothing on the road. We're going to put this thing away. I think of someone like a Casemiro, like in that position, what does he do there? Is he trying that little flick there with that on the line? With his experience in playing in the Champions League and winning La Liga, you know, I don't think that's something that they try there. So it's a learning process though, right? Like these guys are still young, like you mentioned, the youngest team in the league and still a ways to go in learning, but they've put themselves in a great spot. So I don't buy the narrative that it's like a capitulation. I, I think it's two results from two very difficult places to play, but what it does do it just it's a little bit of a chink in the armor in terms when they go to you know the Etihad in in two weeks is it something to where if they go up a goal or two and obviously Man City is going to continue to fight and push on no matter what but just the crowd getting behind Man City and realizing that hey just because the team that's at the top of the table is up two goals on you you still have an opportunity to get back you know so I think that for me is that's the biggest takeaway I thought Declan Rice looked great he looked like he was trying to 
like he wanted to join Arsenal. Yeah, he wanted like he he put an extra ten million on on his name that performance. And he's been a little bit up and down this year for me as well. I think obviously West Ham hasn't had the best season, but for me, I think he would fit great into that Arsenal team, right? He especially if they're going to be battling on all fronts next season in Europe, like you have him, Chaka, Party in the middle. I mean, that's a pretty formidable center of the park. So I like to see that move from him, but he looked like he would slide in naturally. I know Chelsea have been after him for a while, but I think Arsenal right now would, would be the best fit. So yeah, we'll see. United also should be. United, yeah, United would be a good foot as well. That's yeah. a good point with Declan Rice because like, you know, he was a hundred million pound man this summer, right? And, and amazing. And we did the world cup in the past two years. Yeah, West Ham's ascendancy and what they did in Europe. And I don't know if he's been a, it's been a West Ham issue and it's dragged him down or his form has dipped this year and he's played a lot of football the last two years. And just like a lot of guys, it's it's dragged down their performances. But there's been a lot of talk this year about, you know, will what now will Declan Rice get his move? West Ham's still going to hold out for a lot of money and on the form of this year, you know, I don't know if anyone comes in with, with the hundred million price tag that West Ham's going to want. And so this looked like a vintage Declan Rice performance where he was really taking control of the game and, and really box to box. And, and it's it's almost like he wasn't, I don't know because West Ham has been so much on the back foot this season, and but he really took the impetus to Arsenal. And I just haven't seen that from him a lot of the time this this year from him where he's taken ownership, ownership of the game. And I think it unsettled the balance of Arsenal quite a bit where he was just so disruptive. And I think party... I mean, one, he was trying to flick it over Declan Rice. There were so many times where he was getting, you know, kicked up. And actually, in the first minute, like right off the kickoff, Jesus checks back in the midfield and gets a ball and just lays it off. And Declan Rice just kicks him right up in the air, right? And it was like, from that moment on, Declan Rice was like in it. And it showed that West Ham was going to be it. And then I thought Arsenal did a great job calming it down and pinged around him and, and played really well in the beginning. But that's what Declan Rice was all game, and I think it just upset them in, in the center of the park a bit as well. And then I thought Martinelli also was, I keep saying this, but again, just like great ball to Odegaard, huge play, a huge part of the buildup in the second, in the, in the first goal, and was just, again, just such a, every time you get, they love to play that long diagonal ball to him, loves to take people on, they get that over the outside back overlap, he combines so well. He is, and he's so, yeah, I mean, I think he is going to be a huge force to reckon with moving forward. And you forget, like, Saka missed a penalty. He doesn't miss that penalty. This is a different conversation. Yeah, we didn't even and talk so about that. They were right in it, right? I mean, it's, and that's what happens in season. You got to bounce back with guys with some penalties and, and all these, and all these things. So they were, they were, that, even with all that, a Saka penalty goes in, which does nine out of 10, you know, they win that game. Yep. That's my favorite kind of pass, a long diagonal pass as well, you know. Yeah, as long as it's in the air, can't be on the ground. The longer, yeah. the better. That's it's simple. Well, the difference between the a pass and a, and a Joe Salem and a pass is with an intention <laughs> to somebody and within you know a distance receiving where they range. can control the ball. Yeah, <laughs> receiving rate with the appropriate pace uh, on the ball. Yeah. True. And two, thinking about a little bit, I guess we can move on a little bit to the Man City game. And obviously, they go up 3 nothing. They find a way to get that third goal. But they also had some hiccups, right? 3-1, Leicester hit the post late in the game. Had a couple of moments where, like, you know, City... I don't know if it just switched off. It's tough when you go up three nothing so early. There's so emotion, so much emotions. Or it's like you always say the the prem is su- such a difficult league that these guys can strike at any time. So they got a, they're a little bit fortunate, but I think that ending just kind of laid a little bit of you know interesting story for for when they you know take place here. And like I said, in two weeks when Man City and Arsenal play, that this thing's never really over in, 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 until the final whistle goes. Um, what did you see from from Man City, Leicester? Obviously a fast start, but what did you think overall of the the whole performance? I think City just 
losing cruise control for a lot of that game. You're in cruise control, and again, you know, this lesser team, which has just put in dismal performances and have been lost, and just a really stale squad at this point, the lack of lack of investment and really lack of outgoings at uh, Leicester. They just lacked inspiration all season, but these are still a lot of really good players, and that could happen, I think, even for anyone as well-drilled and professional and experienced as Man City. You're up three zero. You're kind of cruising. They didn't. I thought they looked very much in control, and you know, and someone like Ianacho can pop up with a goal. I thought it was pretty easy for him. I've been really impressed with John Stones the last, I would say, yeah, uh, he's ten games or so. I mean, he's always been such a great ball playing center back and so great building out the back. But he's just scoring all these goals now. He's assisting. He's like these little that little header he had the other week to haul him like back across the box. He has been popular for, and he's been stepping up in the midfield a lot more and acting as an extra center midfielder, both uh, breaking up play, distribution. Um, I think he's taken his game to a whole nother level. And it's interesting with Pep, you know, the constant evolutions of that city team where it was his overlapping fullbacks and his inverted fullbacks. Now is the next thing. And you haven't seen that as, as much of late. You had Rico Lewis, right? You had Cancelo doing that a lot in Zacheco. Both those guys are gone. You had that 18-year-old kid, Rico Lewis, come in, look as a natural. He's been on the bench a lot more lately. And now you're seeing Stones be this extra man stepping on the midfield. And so I'm really interested to see what that looks like in the Arsenal game because um, I thought that was very effective against Leicester. It's been effective in the last couple of games. But does he step up and, dis- and disrupt Odegaard a lot? Because Odegaard likes to find those little half spaces. Or is he following Jesus more because Jesus really likes to... To, to drop deep in and create create that space. So I think that was an interesting preview, but I thought it was, it was easy, easy for him, 70% possession and kind of classic Man City. And, and I, I think the end is just more of a, like they were just on cruise control and the game was over, over type of thing moving forward. And I think it's tough for the new coaching staff to get judged or established on playing Man City in the hunt of a title race. Yeah, it reminded me of Tuchel took over at Bayern. It's just like, oh, here's your first game yeah. is against Dortmund, and next game is against it was a Real Madrid or no? It was, they had Dortmund. Was, uh, he had he had the German Cup game, which they lost, and yeah. then they had Dortmund, the German Cup game, the smash yeah. Dortmund, Dortmund lost the German Cup game, yeah. and then I think Freiburg, and then obviously run into trouble in the Champions League and all the discontent in the dressing room and and all of that. Yeah. But yeah, it's it, it's early, but Leicester is in a in a world of hurt. In a, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know if they're spiraling. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about it probably about a month ago now in terms of, you know, do they have that steel to, to keep themselves up? And obviously they have some talent. They have, you know, they, they won the league not too long ago. But once you start to find yourself into that bottom three consistently week over week, sometimes it's like quicksand. You just can't find your way out no matter how hard you, you fight. I like the appointment of Dean Smith. I know he John Terry's on the staff and a couple other guys. So, I mean, what a tough job to come into, you know, seven or eight games left of the season and no resources. You're not going to go out there and buy any players. You look around the dressing room and a lot of heads are probably down. So how do you get those guys up and rally? And I think they have Wolves coming up on the weekend and that's going to be a big game for both of them. But I'm fascinated to see because if Leicester go down, a lot of guys are, are going to, you know, it'll be a fire sale. And yeah, it has to be interesting to see if, if, yeah, if Dean Smith and those guys stay on that staff. So it's fascinating. This year, especially the bottom three has been, you know, almost as exciting or at least um, interesting as, as the top three. Yeah, I think, you know, we said before, like, is there, is Leicester going to have enough, like you said, enough guys who are really fighting to stay up or just want to get out of there? And it's, you know, it's really, really hard to galvanize the troops and where there's such a negative atmosphere around the place. 
yeah, I don't know how much change you can affect, you know, with this little time, but at the same time, Crystal Palace did it with Roy Hodge coming in and they look like a different squad and him making, which we'll get into yeah. and making some different personnel decisions. So I don't think we're going to require that of like getting some guys who aren't playing in and really changing the approach. But you look at like Spurs not changing the approach, you know, disasters. And you look at, you know, like I said, Palace kind of changing the way they operate and, and, and doing well. But I mean, they're in the worst run of form in the league. They've lost four on the bounce. And I think it's be really, really, I don't know what, what they can do to get this going. And also, like I said, the bottom of the table now is starting to separate out a little bit, right? Yes. I mean, one win and, you know, Leeds and Everton lost next week. They leapfrog them, but, you know, it's still close now really to 14th, 15th, or 14th, 13th with like that wolves Bournemouth. This is a true six-pointer. And I think Wolves have, are like building back a project and they've had enough time to kind of get bought in and, and start figuring out a little bit. I mean, they've, two wins in the draw in their last last three. So I think it's going to be really tough for Leicester to lose a six-pointer that where they go from there. But I think I think they're going to end up going down. Yep, I agree. I think they're on their way down. And shifting over to some teams that are in a little bit of a better form right now, the Villa-Newcastle game that we previewed last pod. And I mean, it lived up to the billing. It wasn't close in terms of, of the result, but just in terms of the play by Villa. When I am I think just they took another giant step forward. And, you know, they look to me, I can't remember if we talked about it last time, but they look like what Crystal Palace kind of wanted to be in terms of just like super dynamic on the attack, guys able to beat you off the dribble, really good link up play, a striker who's in, in really good form. And then defensively, they're able to go and press, you know, when teams try to build out. And if not, they, they do a pretty good job of sitting back in and making things predictable. But they were the super fun to watch, dynamic, all over the place was rocking. And Newcastle just didn't really have any answers, which was, was interesting to see for Villa to go. I mean, it was at home, but for them to take care of a team that was probably in top three best form in the league was was pretty surprising. So what were your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge, I think, huge credit to Villa because they're their biggest game of the season. They've been on a great run of form, obviously, you know, five wins on the bounce and I think a draw before that run. But the thing with Newcastle was this whole time was that they were so formidable in the center of the park with Gumarish, with Jones and with Longstaff. And they had such a strong engine room there, dominating teams in the center, the center of the park, winning second balls, distributing well. And then they obviously with Isak and Max and Tim Maximin and all the weapons they have going forward, they're just so efficient. And I thought what Villa did so well was really win that that battle, which I really haven't seen many teams do off of Newcastle. And I was thinking, like, you look at all these teams that are really in form, you look at Arsenal, you look at City, United when Casemiro plays, Newcastle with what Joe Linton and uh, really what Bruno Gamarish has turned into. All these teams have really great number sixes who are dictating tempo in the center of the park, able to break the press and really dictate dictate play. And Villa, I thought, was lacking that for a lot of the season. I mean, Douglas Louise was supposed to be that guy. Jacob Ramsey playing alongside him, going box to box, was supposed to help with that. And under Jared, they just didn't really have that. They kept seeing to get, like, run through in, in the middle of the park and not establish a lot. Just not have a lot of that fight and not a lot of that connectivity on the ball. But I think that's what Emery's brought to this team is a level of organization and I don't know if it's belief in the center of the park, but that's where they won this game. I thought Douglas Louise was amazing. I thought Jacob Ramsey was getting back to his best form. And like I said, I think he's a younger, poor man's Jude Bellingham. And he showed it today. And I think that's what turned the game. Ollie Watkins, you know, is, is in a great run of form and, and continue to be efficient with his chances. Some of those, you know, Nick Pope, I thought could have got to one or two of those. I yeah. Mean, he's, you know, the form he's had all year, but one, like, I think went like right down to his left that I thought he should have had. 
the little turn Ollie Watkins had in the box, he had way too much space. And I thought Mick Pope could have got to that one. So I thought it was also Newcastle were just a little bit off and they've been so good defensively. Nick Pope has been arguably the best goalie in the league. So I thought Villa was a little bit fortunate with that. But, you know, all around, I think Emery has them playing into his system. You see what they want to do, how quickly they get from back to front, the runs that they're making, how connected they all are, and the team shape. There's, they're not, not a lot of space between anyone. And yeah, I thought, I thought they won that battle. And, and it's just continuing to show, like, I think the, one of the new trends we'll see in the Premier League, whereas you need these outside backs. And, and now it's like, you really need that great number six and how much is dictated there. And I think Villa is a great example of that and continuing to, to grow. And look, Villa right now is on 50 points. Newcastle's on 56 and fourth. Newcastle is a game in hand. Villa, you know, in current form, there's nothing to say that they can't make a serious run at, at top four right now. I don't know if they're going to have enough to, like, can, can they consistently do it? Was this their sprint? And, like, are they going to start mm-hmm. to peter out a little bit because they really can't afford any errors being six points back with the game in hand? But it's definitely not out of the question the way they're, the way they're rolling right now. Yeah, the, the rest of their schedule is a little bit tricky. They still have, they'll still go have matchups with Brighton, Liverpool, Spurs, United. So they have a couple yeah. tricky games coming up. But in their current form, you know, unfortunately, Spurs, I would favor them over Spurs. I'd favor anyone For over me, Spurs right now. Yeah, unfortunately. For me, the, I, they looked like Europa League ready for sure. But after that performance, I'm like, I, I could see them, you know, getting into Champions League and, and like getting into group stages and, and, and hosting games at that place. Um, that place would be rocking. It would be it would be behind them, and it would be great to see. I think they have the talent for it. Maybe it's a little bit of recency bias and buzzing off of that result. And I don't know if they have the squad depth. Before. The squad depth. Is yeah. If they get to the Champions League, doing this every week, yeah. that's that's the thing for all yeah. of the Brightons, the Villas, anyone who makes this step, Newcastle, yes. even anyone who makes this step. Mm-hmm. It, the, the hard part is is doing it twice a week. Yeah, it's a slippery slope too, right? Because if your form goes in in one and you start to spread yourself out and you have a thin squad, your form could start to dip in in all the competitions. I don't know if they have the depth to go on and make a run in all those fronts, but I think that in terms of, you know, one-off games, European nights, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday evenings, that place behind them home games, I can see them getting results at the against, you know, La Liga teams or league own teams and um, so I never thought I would say that when Gerard was at the helm or even the early days of Unai Emery, but watching them play, watching their style, I think that, and like I said, probably a little bit of recency bias, but I hope that, you know, they can get in there, um, at least into the Europa League to see what that looks like for next season. Not, so at, not at the expense of your boys on the, with the Spurs, but yeah, uh, we'll, it's not we'll looking get to good. that. Yeah, with that. I mean, what's interesting too is like, you remember Grealish gets sold. They do, speaking of Spurs, you know, the, the famous Bale 7, uh, when we sold Bale to Real Madrid for all that money, you bring in a group of players, some works and don't. So you bring in all these players, you have them last year kind of go through unsure about a lot of those buys work out. And obviously, you know, Dean Smith and Jared comes in, doesn't look like a disaster, but then you see that they did make some pretty good buys and it was just yes. getting a coach to get these guys in the right system to bring the best out of them and, and really put them in a lot of the right positions. When Diaz is an example, like huge buy, a lot of money, didn't really in, in that number 10 role and creative role, didn't really look like he was settling in the Premier League. He's been brilliant. John McKinn's been back in form. They've moved Jacob Ramsey up where he was playing a little bit more defensively. Now they have him kind of, you know, a double pivot with Luis Dendonker and then you have the three in front of them with Buendia McGinn and Ramsey. Ramsey's been doing well in that role. And then Watkins as like a solo striker has been, that's been one of the biggest surprises for me is his ability to play so well isolated up front. And they like getting him those runs in behind, right? And like quick, early, long balls over the top and using his pace. And he has uh, that common finish right now. So I think 
he has this team just in just finding the right system. And it's going to be interesting to see how they how they finish. And they they still have one or two good players on the bench. Diego Carlos is a good player. Triori is a good player. So uh, they still have Leon Bailey, who I think was injured, wasn't, but will come back. Be interesting to see what they do with Coutinho moving forward. And also, you made another good point too. Like it's, it, 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 it comes down to the manager a lot of the time. Well, this is the first time in, in four or five podcasts, so I wanted to make a special note of it. <laughs> Highlight it, but it. <laughs> It's the only clip is this that that's the only the only clip that we use from the pod this week. But like the manager is super important, right? Tyrone Mings was on the outs with Steven Gerrard. He wasn't playing him and now he's, you know, back in the lineup and pitching shutouts against, you know, one of the most informed teams in the league. So it's just a little rough to see in terms of, you know, Spurs of instead of moving away from Conte and his system of just, you know, using his number two and trying the, the same old song and dance. So sometimes you have to be a little bit bold. You have to be a little bit more proactive and Villa are great. I think they'll spend some money too, um, if, especially if they sneak into Europe. I mean, they have decent investment behind them. They don't have like, you know, bully money or Arab state money, but mm-hmm. they, they haven't been shy to spend. I mean, no one in the Premier League has been shy to spend. And I think on the back of this, of this push and being in and around Europe, they'll spend in the summer. But I think as we saw with, you know, you know, we talk about the next game, Chelsea, Brighton's a great example, right? You look at Chelsea spending all the money in the world. You look at Brighton spending intelligently and the, and the guys they spent on. It's more about, um, do you have the right manager in the right system? And we can say every week, the the right system that everyone fits into. And the manager is the most important appointment of that. And then it's the guys you have in your scouting system that are going to replace the manager who moves on and then same thing with the players. But I think Villa, um, where I think the scouting looked and the recruitment looked a shambles when Grealish left, now it's looking like, okay, it could work. So it'll be interesting to see where they where they look to plug those holes in the, the, the summer to continue to make that squad push on. But yeah, I mean, I think you, you look at a club that's being run the absolute wrong way and a lot of growing pains for this Todd Bully Clear Lake group to I think the best run club probably in the world right now and in Brighton. I think they are the best run football operation. Great article in the New York Times actually this week about about what they're doing and how and how they're doing it. You know, talks about Man City as a standard of football operations and, and it's true, but they also play on easy mode with all that money. And just you know, and in disregard for the for any of the rules and, and all of that. Brighton's doing it with shoestring budget and and so it's it's an interesting contrast. But yeah, Brighton's you know, that first thirty minutes I said Arsenal was such a good watch in that West Ham game. Brighton are just as good. Right. When Brighton are on, they are just as entertaining to watch as City or Arsenal. And I think they showed in this game. Utterly dominated Chelsea. Could have been four or five. Opposed a couple times, a couple big saves. And they just build from the back in such a beautiful way. And they did it all game, right? Like they dared Chelsea to press them. They play through Sosedo, move it really quick to the outside back, big switch of play. They're off. And, and yeah, I thought they were absolutely. Absolutely brilliant. It was fun to watch. But what did you what did you see in that uh, in that game? Yeah, I agree. I don't think they just. Not only did they just dare them, they they kind of invited them to come and step high and press, and then just played around them. Stanford Bridge, like you could tell, they wanted to get behind them, and they knew it was going to be a big game. Just in terms of the form that Brighton's been in, and it just reminded me of it was like a boxing match. It was only going to go one way, and they just touched them up round after round, multiple chances, and I think the crowd like a couple. Good chances early on for Brighton, back and forth. Chelsea get the goal, but Brighton just keep coming, and it was only really going to go one way. I think the announcers made a comment like, oh, they missed a couple chances. 
I think this was about midway through the first half, and, and they were saying, oh, you know, it might just be one of those days for, for Brighton. And I was like, it's coming. It doesn't matter if it's in the 50th minute or the 90th minute. They're going to find a way to break them down. They possess the ball. They, they had a good mixture of, I think I texted you there, Man City Light. They have a good mixture of like confidence on the ball, the arrogance that you need to play out of tight situations. How many times did the keeper play the ball like into the center of the park with a guy on his back, and he just like knocks it out wide, and they just they broke teams down like consistently with that a couple times they got their pockets picked but they didn't care they just kept doing the same thing so they just they look really fun to watch and it looks like it'd be a great team to be a part of and play great manager it's just like you said it's it's one of the best run operations right now in the game and for me they're must watch and uh, whoever they're playing week in week out it's they're on another level yeah, I think that's a good one. One of the games I you always look for in the weekend and make sure to, to watch that game just to see how would they play with the ball and without the ball. I think you said like a couple times when turnovers do happen, they're so good at the counter press off the ball, wherever wherever that is. They're always running it, winning it back quickly, very well organized. And, you know, again, we talk about with Spurs where it's like they don't, they have these like very rigid patterns of play. And if it breaks down, they don't know what to do. And it seems to know how to defend against it. So it's like we're out of ideas all the time. You see these patterns of play that Brighton have when they want to play at the back. Like you said, you know, Sanchez to Lewis Dunn, for example, the center back will scoop it on out wide and then Salcedo will, you know, get it. And they, but every player has three or four options on the ball all the time, right? Every single player in any of those passing up the back or making the press situations has three or four options and everyone's making those runs all the time. And so you can't just defend about, oh, we're just going to stand, we're just going to block the, the pass to the wing or we're going to like press double on Salcedo because they, they have all of these outs and, and they have a fluidity about it and, and they're just brilliant to watch. I mean, if you look at, if you look, go through this team, right, and you look at who's doing it, Evan Ferguson, who is like, they signed up from Ireland and he went there because it, Brighton is almost like, this is too early to say this, but Bruce Dortmund proved that we are the talent factory. If you're one of the best young players in the world, leave Man City, leave wherever you are, especially in England, like leave your big, you know, don't sign for a big club because you're not going to play. You're going to get pushed out easily. Come to us. We'll give you a platform and then we'll sell you on. Right. And yeah. this kid, I'm Ferguson coming out of Ireland. You know, a lot of Spurs tried to sign him. Liverpool tried to sign him. And I tried to sign him. And Brighton's promise was you're going to come here and play. Right. And then we'll sell you when, when you do well. Even with Sosedo, you know, saying I want to leave in, in January and his, he signs with this new agency. Is nobody talks about this? Like, he signs this new agency, and then he posts on Instagram like the day after he signs this new agency. He's like, "I'm from a very poor town in mm-hmm. in Ecuador, and this is a lot of money." And I was like, "Oh, brilliant, brilliant play there." But like, oh, they told him, "Like, yeah, we'll give you that contract. Yeah, we'll, we'll and, we'll, and then we'll sell you on." And so it's interesting to see the model where they they find these um, unheralded guys. And they play ball him. with them too, right? They they yeah. don't they don't attach crazy transfer fees on them. I mean, they get their money's worth for sure, but it's not like something to where it's not a Daniel Levy where it's like, hey, you're not going until you hit this astronomical number. It's like this is planned out ahead of time. If, you, if they hit yeah. this number, then you're welcome to go at this set point. Yeah, but it's still within there, like what they want to do, right? Like Salcedo, I think Arsenal offers seventy, and they're like, no. So they know like the value, but they're not like Levy where it's impossible to deal. And then they know the model, right? It's like. We know our guys are going to move on. We know our managers are going to move on if we're doing our thing well. And so, you know, what the New York Times article talked about, and this has been, it's not new news, but this was before, is that Brighton, Brighton's owned by a ex-gambling executive. Actually, he was a professional gambler. He's like a math, he's a mathematician genius. Was a professional gambler, started a gambling company, and then has applied, and he's invested $500 million into the club and applied this very, and he owns another club, I believe, Holland or maybe Denmark. 
and a very mathematical driven approach to this. And so they have this proprietary data model that basically scouts the world and finds players that they think will adapt to the Premier League and Brighton's style. And they have five, six, seven replacements for Matoma, right? And they know exactly that. And that's why they're able to find guys like Julio Ancencio, the guy who kid at the bottom, 18 year old from Paraguay. Nobody's looking in Paraguay. No one was looking in Ecuador. Right. Well, now they've had like this national team's really good. The youth national teams are good. They're having, you know, a, a real big uh, moment there with a couple maybe back to back old generations. But they're finding these underfished territories because of this approach. And so it's all about fitting again into this style we want to play possession based, uh, attacking, play out the back, who can fit into that. And we know we're going to sell them if they're successful in two, three years. But I got six guys behind him who I think can fit in. And I think it's, it's, it's taken a while for that model to really get going. And like Potter had him at one level, but they kind of hit a wall. And now they've broken through and been unbelievable. It'll be interesting going forward because depending on Evan Ferguson's injury, hurting his ankle, it looked pretty bad, like how he rolled it. Veltman is another big myth. So it'll be interesting to see how they, they move forward on those two. But one of my favorite teams, like you said, to watch, and they play beautiful stuff. And I just, I can't get over how good Matoma is. Like, there was one run he had where he was kind of in between the corner of the box and the touchline, probably like 40 yards out, kind of in that half space, pissed the ball in the half turn. And it was like, I don't say this to be extremist or anything, but it was messy esque in terms of the control next to the how close up all to his foot and how he was gliding by people. You know, Messi, that low center gravity going. And it was like just that dip of the shoulder and dip by somebody and then dip of the shoulder and dip by somebody. And it the ball was like literally attached to his foot the whole time. It didn't even look like it left his foot. Yeah. Just like slogging through people. It was unbelievable. And like he does this every single week. And for one of the, the first goal, he put – who did he put on skates? I think he put Fofana on skates. And he just like mm-hmm. – Turned at, he looked shoulder outside, turned him around the corner, put that little crop. Like, he is, I, I don't hear enough transfer chatter about him, about like, why, as a Spurs fan, why are we not prepared to pay? Uh, I'd pay 70 million for Mato Selsan and get Matoma in immediately. Yeah. But every week, I am just like so impressed with him. Sully March, same thing every week. Such a yeah. great player, so good coming inside, creating, hitting, hitting bombs. The guy I'm actually impressed the least with. Is McAllister. It looks like he's going to go to Man United for a bajillion dollars. Oh, I still think he's good. But so, yeah, just, just a joy to watch the way that they play in these patterns, playing triangles all day long. And, and they, you know, and they have these guys who just annihilate people on the wings and put these great, great crosses in. So, yeah. great to watch. What did you think about Chelsea, though? I mean, if you have another comment on Brighton, but what else? What did you think about just Chelsea and Bully going into the dressing room after? I, I could have yeah. been, you know. Yeah. When you were talking about extremism, you know, being extremist, I thought you were going to compare him to, instead of calling him Messi-esque, I thought you were going to call him Salem-esque in terms of his movement, especially around the yeah. box. Surprised to, yeah. to hear you go the other way. Extremist and delusional are very different. One in the same, my friend. One in the same. He does remind me, it's more of the, for me, it's like a more of the Maradona, like where he just like bounces off of people, the balls like velcro to his foot. Um, I thought McAllister was, was like a small diminutive Argentinian. Yes, yes, one of the yes. Like, I don't know yeah. if you've heard of him, like Messi, like both one World Cup. Yeah, <laughs> I think I know where you're going with it. You talking about Ronaldo, right? Power, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought McAllister was he gets in good spots, but he looks like someone on that team that could be sold, and that team wouldn't skip a beat. To kind of touch on what you were saying about the the model of just have the next guy ready and have someone come in and really overpay for McAllister is what I think is going to is gonna happen. The, the guy who owns it, I think he owns the Belgian team, and they're in Europa League right now. Royal or Royal? Belgian team. 
Yeah, and they just tied Leverkusen over the weekend because I, I remember looking them up thinking like, who the hell is this team? But I think they're under the same ownership. So I don't know enough about it to see how long he's had them or or what kind of you know progress he's made. Uh, but it sounds like it's 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 more of the same going on right now. So they're they're super impressive. I, I for me the biggest thing that they do it's 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 you talk about the patterns a lot, and for me Spurs look like it's just like set plays, and once they break down, there's no other options. Brighton look like they have like principles when they play, get guys around the ball supporting angles, multiple options, space, depth, width, time. They just base off of principles. I think that's why it's so free-flowing. Man City light for sure. Sometimes in that game, they look like Arsenal, like peak Arsenal, whatever that was about like six weeks ago when they were just you know mowing teams down in terms of like the free-flowing football, especially around the box. Chelsea on the other side looked like the Spurs. It was very rigid, very predictable, very disconnected. Yeah, it, it just looked a little bit... They looked a little bit lost. There's a great clip. I don't know if it's from that game. Uh, the, the clip suggested that it was, but who, who knows with social media. But it was Chelsea coming out of the tunnel onto the field and just said, like, there's more. Well, I was an old player. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it just sums it up. It's, they just look lost. They look like they're counting the days down to to, to finish the season with not much to, to, to play for. Um, they're desperate for a manager, a, a direction, a style of play. And then Bowley, I don't know. I think he pulled that card a little bit too early. I mean, this wasn't like a rally cry to get into Europe or a rally cry to bring yourself back out of a Champions League. First league, uh, first leg defeat, it was just, what are they playing for right now? Um, and I think that there's just a little bit of disbelief within that team about what's going on. There's so much talent, but there's no real identity. Yeah, I think and they do look like Spurs in the sense of like, Everyone gets the ball, and then it's just do it yourself. Like, Madras gets the ball, he puts his heads down and runs, tries to beat a couple people. And that's what it looks like kind of across across the park. And there's just – and there's no – defensively, they are all over the shop. They're not compact at all. They don't look like they know how to hunt the ball in packs. Well, I think it looks like a lot of confusion in terms of when runners move off the ball, who's taking who. And even after that first goal that Gallagher got, you know, it, they never – it still looked like it was going to be Brighton's game. And Brighton just like didn't even look worried about it. And I thought that was a big, it was like, oh, that turned the tide a little bit. And it was just, you know, Chelsea looked as apprehensive after the goal and Brighton just weren't worried. Like, oh, you know, we'll just, we'll just keep going. Whereas Brighton on the other side and Arsenal do this really well too. And Pep's obviously famous for this. It's kind of, you. everyone has their zone they're supposed to play in, how they're supposed to operate within that zone. And they're given freedom to, to improvise within that zone, right? So Matoma is supposed to play, you know, in kind of the wing and the half space off to the left. And when the outside back sets the ball, he's supposed to make a run to the touchline. If Sosedo has the ball, he's supposed to come into that half space. And, like, they, they know where they're always supposed to be, but there's three or four options for you to operate within your zone at all times. And and Chelsea just looks like they have no no system. I, the thing with Bowley is, like... What's a half space? Yeah, I'll, I'll explain it. I'll explain it later. <laughs> I have some great... I have some great, I, I'll, I'll have some great links for you and some diagrams. <laughs> Show you how some to Wikipedia links. Yeah, exactly. Some coaches' video Instagram posts, which are <laughs> phenomenal for anyone listening out there to go follow their, follow their Instagram page. One of my favorites. I send it to Joe all the time. He's like, "What are what are they doing talking about these tactics?" Yeah, they with Bowley. When you're coming in as an American owner, you have so much working against you already. Everyone thinks you're Ted Lasso. They love you if you spend money. But they really love you if you spend money and get the hell out of the way and you hire the right people to do what you when you operate the football side. When you even if you're English and you are messing with the football side like Daniel Levy, they they want to kill you. As the best thing you can do as an owner is get out of the way and put football people in front of you. Just like you run any organization, you should hire people smarter than you out of nine out of ten things and give them the autonomy 
to run their division and you just need to give them the goals and the vision and hold them accountable. Bully is so out in front of this thing makes zero sense to me. Like he's talking to fit. Like there's that clip of him talking to fans. There's that clip of, there's a clip of him in the last game. He's like looking up and fans like yelling down at him. He's yelling back. He's saying three zero before the Real Madrid game. And like you said, the best thing to do is just operate in the background. Him coming into the changing room, I think is fucking bananas. I could not believe that. Somebody, I saw some tweet today being like, oh, well, Rob McElhinney and Ryan Reynolds are in the dressing room every game. I'm like, that's totally, totally different. One, they're only positive all the time. They're just the biggest fanboy cheerleaders in the world. Two, it's all marketing shtick for the documentary. All marketing. That brings, all marketing. Bring, exactly. That brings revenue into that club, right? Everything they do is is for Twitter, is for the FX show, to get sponsors to want to attach to Wrexham in order to get them at the table. Like, those are totally different. And I think the positivity side is the same, right? Win or lose, those guys are in there saying, like, you know, just being fanboys. Todd Bully going in the locker room and saying, you guys are an embarrassment. You guys are not living up to the however much I invested into this club. It sounds like a petulant child, number one. Number two isn't taking ultimate accountability as the owner. And as the leader of the organization, he is ultimately accountable. And then three is that these guys are going to be like, fuck you. Like, fuck, I don't care who you are, right? Like, you're some American baseball owner. You're still paying my... Ch- it's, it's, I just thought it was the worst. Out of everything they've done to this point... I think that is by far the worst. I think finding these managers and four managers of the year is crazy. I think the way that they brought Lampard in is crazy. Spending that much money in January, I think, is crazy. But at least in January, I'm like, okay, they bought a lot of really good young players. They're making a bet. I wouldn't operate that way, but I could at least see if with patience how it potentially work out. This just looked to somebody who's completely out of their depth and doesn't understand how this game works at all and looks like they don't have a plan. Because if the plan is I'm buying all these players and we're going to be great right away. That is, and now, now I'm throwing a tantrum about it. That is incredibly naive. So yeah, I thought it was I think a it undermi- really terrible move. Yeah, it undermines as you know everything as well. And, and and Lampard's in a pretty precarious situation already. But after he delivers his speech or whatever it is to the team after the game, and then the owner comes in and just you know from all accounts sounds like he just torches the 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 group. It just undermines Lampard even more, and and he's already you know lost three out of three on a hot seat and not much to play for. I, I just didn't think it was the right time at all for this. It doesn't make sense. You don't you don't hear stories about like Joan Laporta or Florentino Perez like they're, they're, they're those guys. I'm sure they're very hands on, but they're not in the locker room telling like you know Luca. Never criticizing. I've never heard yeah. of an owner going in and criticizing at a top club. And then for it to leak out like that as well, it's just a really bad look. I, I just that's what I thought was really, another thing that was interesting. So yeah. camp. How did that get out? How did it get out? And like the, the word that he used, embarrassed, and and who knows exactly what the context was. But I mean, like you drop that word and you just open yourself up to. But they didn't to deny that. it. They asked Lampard about yeah. it. Lampard's like, I have no problem with him coming in here, and it shows passion, and which shows that Lampard is like, please give me this job, and yeah, and, and I thought that. Want. But it looked like picking him over the players. and But I think what it speaks to, too, is like Chelsea, all these buys they made, huge reset in the summer. They're, they're going to have to sell so many guys and I think maybe even have a bigger fire to sell those guys because of performances and Bully coming in there and how pissed off he must be, it seems, at some of these people. So they're going to sell so many people under par and take such a lot like. Mm losses on some of these guys and also reflection of just like the broader market would be interesting. And this would never happen, but I would love for Spurs to go get Mason Mount. Cause I, I think he's gone that. in the summer. He's like the exact type of guy we need. 
I would take but, him. Yeah. I would take Ziyech. Ziyech, I would take. Not I mean, those two would be, I would not take Pulisic. No. No, no, no. He's not. He's not ready for that level. I, I think those two guys, you can come in and, and, and take that and boost the team, you know? So a good good transition to Spurs. I'm sure you've been making some mental notes here. That was painful. At home to, to go down like that um, to a team that's still in a relegation battle, but no business losing that game at home. Tough to Especially watch. Especially after a Newcastle loss right before it. Yeah. Yeah. It was painful to watch. They look like Dog shit. They think that they look like they think that there's no way they're getting into Europe. I think that kind of that that game kind of cemented for me the fact like oh they don't have that belief right now and they're looking around and seeing Villa flying and Newcastle and Brighton um, and even though they they beat Brighton I, I don't think they have the belief right now probably rightfully so the way they're playing. Let's hear from Mr. Waxenberg about uh, your thoughts on that ninety minutes. I think there's a much bigger issue here than the 90 minutes. Touch on the 90 minutes quickly. I mean, it was the same Spurs we've seen since Conte had his rant. I mean, really all season, but especially since probably January onward that led to the Conte rant, Conte highlighted in the rant, and Stellini's taken on, right? Which is, and Stellini called it out. He's like, oh, we do well, and then we score a goal, and then we drop off. It's not tactical. It's a habit the players learn. I could not believe that. I was like, there's no players that just have a habit of, oh, we drop off. They follow instructions. And if 11 guys are not following your instructions, right, then it's your fault as the manager. And if you have that, like Guardiola took off De Bruyne the other week, right, because De Bruyne wasn't following instructions. Cancelo, out, right? What are you talking? There should be zero zero ability for someone to not follow the instructions. And again, this group of players does not seem like prima donnas. Right now, I think there might be a disconnect between the level that everybody thinks these players are and maybe what they are. And I'm guilty of that. I thought this team, you know, should be finishing third or could be pushing for the title based on if the signings worked out and the form yeah. of last season. But maybe that that is the issue, which I'll get to in a second, which is the delta between the expectation and the reality. And everybody just whiffed really hard on that. And last season was more an abnormality rather than the beginning of a trend. But this game in itself was just what Spurs have been all season. Like like we said, no patterns of play. Uh, nobody has options on the ball. Uh, defensively, we're too easy to, to move through. Um, and zero creativity going on up top. And again, the signings look terrible. Pedro Poro looks like he looks awful. Like he has not been good. Like Emerson Royal. Yeah, he's terrible defensively. Out of position all the time. It's run by, like you said, coughs the ball up all the time. Crucial. Two of the goals, and we'll get to the Sanchez issue, were his fault. He turned the ball over on one, and he headed the ball back into the middle on the counterattack for the one that Sanchez, people thought was Sanchez's fault on on the the second one. So, again, I think it's the recruitment has let let the team, let the, the squad down. And, and I think it's a huge tactical issue. I think it's Conte and Stellini having the wrong system and they're throwing the players under the bus and like, oh, they're not doing what we want. I'm like, you're really 11 guys. You're saying go attack, go press, go play free-flowing and everyone just drops back on the top of our box and no one knows what to do with the ball because because they're scared. Like, no, these are elite superstars that have played at the highest level. I don't think anyone's scared. Right, I think they don't believe in the tactical system that they've been taught the past, you know, year and a half with Conte and Stellini, and they're trying to play within it, and it just breaks down. And we talk about Brighton and Villa bringing the best other players, putting them in the right positions tactically. I don't think it, it, we have the players to do what they want to do on the ball or defensively, and so it, it falls apart. You have to be perfect defensively. Eric Dyer is not that guy. 
Langlet's not that guy. I think Romero Romero is. They want us to get the ball the outside back, play Kulisewski and Son with their back to, to goal. I don't think either of them are great at that. About, I also have like, fallen out of love with Kulisewski. He's been awful all year. Um, I don't know if last yeah. year was an abnormality where I thought he was the man or whatever. But yeah, I think it's the same Spurs. Just total miss tactically is is the bigger bigger issue. And the players not believing and buying into the system. But the bigger problem is the level of toxicity that this club is at the moment. This is mm-hmm. Arsenal when yes. Xhaka got booed off and yep. gave up the captaincy yep. right before Arteta got there, right? Like peak toxicity where the fans were so fed up with the team. The fans thought that the team should be playing at a higher level and they had Sanchez and Ozil and Zaka and like all these players are like, they should be good. And they look like they don't care. They look like they're not passionate. They put in these flat performances and fans booing players, which I think is completely unacceptable to single out a player and boo, which we'll get to the Sanchez thing in a second. And just the disconnect between what the club was doing and the, per- the perception from the fans of what the club is doing and the, what they were trying to accomplish and how they were going about it and what the fans wanted to feel part of. And they didn't feel part of it. And it gets really toxic. I and mean, that is the worst place for a club to be. It's a hard place for the players to galvanize themselves. It's the fans don't want to be a part of it. It's like the, the, the thing that's amazing about this game is the connection between the supporters and the club and everyone pushing forward. I mean, that's, that's the first thing to fix and to make sure it's there. Like that's what Klopp did so well when he came to Liverpool, for example. I've never seen it this bad as my whole time supporting Spurs. Even when Spurs were mid-table and not great or when we made some good runs, like it was never there, right? Even when Tim Sherwood was in charge and oh we were dog shit and like horrible to watch and didn't have any really great players in the squad. I mean, there was a couple of them, Tongan and I think then Bailey was at a time came just basically, but like not, not really anyone you wanted to get behind. And I remember we didn't score goal for like four or five games or something. It was really, really bad. Like out of my always in the line. And still the fans were like joking and saying like, let's pretend, let's pretend we scored a goal. And like, there was this like, there was this like, oh, we're shit. But like we were in it kind of a thing. It was an ownership of it. It was like, this is our team. This is our situation. We'll find a way out. Now it feels like there's two sides. It's like, this yeah. is your guys' mess. You guys fig- figure this out because we're we're done. Yeah, and it, it's like Spurs were going like this, right, with Pochettino. And then we talked about this before, but like if you look at – I think what's happened is Spurs were growing. They get rid of Pochettino. We need a win-now manager. When that wasn't the answer, the answer was to refresh the squad and back Pochettino. But you get a win-now manager – and you have the squad you think is good enough. The squad actually wasn't good enough. We go through the flip of what Tottenham's been forever, which was pragmatic, defensive football. And that's not what the fans wanted to see or be a part of. And I think that's strike number one and kind of disconnects the fans. But if you win trophies and you're winning, we'll deal with it. As you saw at the end of last year with Conte. Then we get on a... Then we go through it. Everyone's really upset at Levy about the Nuno situation, the Jose situation. And we seem to be making steps backwards, some bad signings. Conte comes in, regalvanizes the fan base behind him and says, okay, we're still playing in a way we hate, but we're winning and we love Conte, need a serial winner, and we have this squad, we think we can do it. And then the end of last year was such a turnaround. And we were the second best team in terms of, I believe, points and since Conte came in the second half of the year. Took this big step up and it's like, oh, now we spent some money, right? Now we said in the summer, Richarlison, awful, like, Still, same mistakes Spurs made with Lacelso and Dembele and these guys. Like Richarlison for seventy million is is encapsulates the problem. But then there was this expectation, I believe, for myself included in the supporters of we're going to push this year. We finally spent the money. Conte's had a full season. 
Yeah, he's at a preseason. We're going to take another step up from this form. We're going to be awesome. And the, uh, the reverse happened where everyone's been out of form. Like no one, no one in the squad has been better than they were last season. Most people have taken Sun's big step back. Uh, Kuliseski, massive step back. Romero stepped back. Hoiberg stepped back. Every, no, no one's, Bentacor is the only one who I think has been better than last year. And so I think the expectation of we should be better than this is the, the real issue here. And now let's say, oh, we're not pushing forward like we should. And then there's such animosity with Levy on the football side. Tracy things that happens and saying, how do we bring somebody in who's a criminal? And you knew that. And how Sauer got, got with Conte. So now we're, fast forward, we're at this point where this toxicity gets so bad, it all gets taken out on Davidson Sanchez. And that absolutely breaks my heart. And that's the other part where I'm like, we need to stop this right now. You, we should never boo a player who's trying. You don't do yeah. that. Like this guy, and Davidson Sanchez has busted his ass for Spurs this whole time. I also think he's very underrated. Spurs fans have hated on him for a long time. I don't think he's nearly as bad as everybody says. He might not be the best ball playing center back, I but agree. he's a good center back. And I've never wanted to sell him. I still don't want to sell him. And I think he's put in the wrong position tactically a lot of the time. But for all of that to come out on him is a really, really bad look. It isn't fair to him. It's a really, really bad look for the fans. It's the same thing. I was, I'm the biggest Emerson Royal hater ever. Although at the very end, he was playing well. But I was the biggest Emerson Royal hater. Get him out. Get him out. Never boo him, right? The fact that I saw Spurs fan boo their own player twice, specifically in the same year, I think is absolutely abhorrent. And it is not what this club's about at home. Yeah, it's not why I love this club. I love this club because it's one of the most family-oriented clubs there is. Ultimate get behind the team. Ultimate everyone singing their house art for that for the badge. And like that's just not what it is right now. So it's severely broken. And I think the way you and and that's the biggest issue. Like we're gonna keep playing go up a goal, defensive, play flat, be boring to watch, give up goals, and we'll sputter our way to the end of the season, probably getting like seventh. But we have to fix getting everyone back behind this club and have everyone rowing in the same direction. That's that's the biggest issue. And maybe sometimes you have to hit these rock-bottom moments to go the other direction. But you look at it and you go, where do we go? Pochettino is like, would be the appointment that would get everyone back on side. Now, you can't let that emotion ruin or get in the way of the right decision. He might not be the right decision, but they announce Pochettino tomorrow. Everyone's back on board. You know, Levy fades into the background. But I think we need to figure out who this manager is going to be ASAP to get everyone kind of back back on sides. And for the remainder of the season, we need to start doing something different. Like Ryan Mason needs to start calling the shots or Stellini needs to change. Like we have to change the way we play tactically, although I'm not optimistic about that. But I think, yeah, the biggest thing to solve is this toxicity issue because Kane's going to yeah. want out. Everyone's going to want out. Like no one's going to want to oh, be yeah. Yeah, my concern is that it's that it's not rock bottom. That's my main concern right now. I, I, I'm worried that this is just a little bit of a sneak peek. What's going to happen? The next five games are Newcastle, United, Liverpool, Crystal Palace, who's now won three on the spin, and Villa. And so I'm really concerned that some of these games could 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 get ugly. I think there's enough quality in the team that the, it's not going to be blowouts and things like that. But it's almost hurts more that these games are a little bit close and then we're finding ways to lose them at the end or drop points at the end. So my concern is, is that we're not at rock bottom yet. And I agree, though, 100%. They have to come and announce a manager within the next – 10 days? I, I don't know. I think they need to announce someone soon. And I know that they're probably still in a holding pattern with some of these guys, but I think that's the only way it gets flipped because if they don't announce someone within the next two weeks and we lose the next two or three games or their ugly performances and there's more booing, things can get 
even more toxic pretty quickly. And, and now you're starting, you're not starting fresh next year, you're starting from a really negative standpoint and you're probably going to finish seventh or eighth. It's, it's, it's not good. And it's just crazy how it hasn't happened quickly, you know, cause this has been brewing with some of the buys and things like that, but I guess things can happen, you know, quickly things can turn on a dime even though things have been building up for a while. So it's, it's just a little it's, bit. It's the result. It's that we've always been, like I said, like the whole se- first half of the season was, wow, we're bad, but we're in the top four. We got out of our Champions League, but we're bad. And so when you're bad and then the results go against you, the damn breaks, right? Because yeah. it's like right there. Yeah. But even in this game, when you're in the top four race and the team above you loses and you're playing a team that's in the relegation point, in the relegation spaces, right, or in that race – and it's even close and at home, that's fucking unacceptable. And I was losing their yeah. minds. But even in that game, if Richarlison scores a wide open header from five yards out, right, then we win. Yeah, for, if we win, first goal, everyone's like, oh, Richarlison's going to be great for the rest of the year. And, da, 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 and, like, yeah. and we won, yeah. and it was a horrible we could push performance. For New Ca- Newcastle lost. We could get in the top. It's the hope, right? It's the hope that gets you every time yeah. because they're but, still uh, in fifth. They're still in fifth. So that, that's the thing why it's like it's all of a sudden, but like all at once. If Rodrigoson scores yeah. that header, right, we're tied with Newcastle. They have a game in hand, but we're both on 56 points, and we play this weekend, right, to go three points above them and, like, basically take – like, and so depending on the United result, you're right behind them. So it could all switch really quickly. A lot could happen this, this season, but, again, these type of performances, you don't see them getting any of the results we need. And, again, Newcastle it's, – it's kind of like I said with Arsenal. They go to City and win or get a draw, right? They should get it. We have, like you said, we have Newcastle, we have United back to back. Yeah, United, yeah. Newcastle, like you said, United, Liverpool, Palace, Villa. Hey, Newcastle, United, and Villa are all six pointers for the top four. Mm-hmm. Even if we won against Brentford, you're still, you still got to go win those games, right? Nothing's changed. Yeah. So it's still totally within our control. It's just no evidence from the season. I don't remember one good performance we put in like a half here and there, but no real good performances. Maybe the City game with Stellini, the West Ham game with Stellini when Conte was sick, would tell me that they would go out and have a Jason win here. But that's a crazy thing. We've been so bad and still all within our control, but I have no optimism for any any of these games. And the whole fan base is just like, we're going to show up and thinks that we're going to be awful. Yeah, next five games out of 15 points, over under seven. Yeah, maybe five is a good over under in the number. I would say four or five. Because Newcastle at St. Yeah. James's after that Villa defeat and for a six-pointer bouncing back and like how dejected we are and how good of a run they've been on, I don't see us doing that. United, I don't see us beating United with Casemiro and Erickson back. Liverpool is always a nightmare for us. Palace, I could see us getting a draw. Villa, I could see us maybe going in there and getting a win, but our season might be over at that point. In it. So I could see maybe three mm. points with Villa and Thai Palace. But yeah. And the other thing is, like, you think because we're so bad, does Stellini just try to make us play even more defensively and oh, more compact and, like, watch. counter even harder? The one good thing, the only positive about that Bournemouth game, I will say, is Dan Juma looked really good. He looked good bringing the ball forward, committing defenders, creating good goal. I would play him over Kulo. I would start him over Kulosevsky. He looks like the only one. Right now, for sure. In recent memory, he looks like he can create anything and is dynamic on the ball going forward. Mm-hmm. So that was, I thought, encouraging. Yeah. But besides that, we yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. At St. James, 
at Liverpool. United at home, I think maybe with their. Uh, it should know, be, but like right now, White Hart Lane's a tough place to go. I don't know if the guys even want to show up at White Hart Lane because it's like yeah, normally this fan base is so behind them no matter what. And now we, as soon as something goes wrong, the fan base just turns because we're so like sick of it. Yeah. Which isn't okay. Like I don't, I don't think the performance of the fans. I understand why they're frustrated. I'm frustrated. I feel the same way. But this is not the Tottenham that I've ever known yeah. about. People just not getting behind. Yeah, them. it's because uh, St. James is going to be behind them. Anfield is going to be behind Liverpool. You know, yeah. I don't Liberty think we stayed in Villa Park. It's behind. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. It's a it's our own prison right now. Unfortunately, yeah. What we do you need a manager that's uh, going to galvanize this fan base? That's the other thing. Yeah, it's yeah. like if they hire the wrong manager. Like Nuno, Gattuso, some of these guys are coming in. Everyone's going to be pissed off. This has to the be. Gattuso one makes me laugh so much. If it's <laughs> and, and all the reports are that we're not even reaching out to Pochettino. He's not even on the shortlist. That's everything on Twitter is that he's not even being considered. And that makes everyone hate Levy more. If they get Nigelsmann, I don't even think Lewis Enrique will get people in mind. I feel like if you don't get Nigelsmann or Poch, everyone's just going to be out on this guy from the beginning. I mean, Arnie Slot, when yeah. he's done with Feyenoord has all of the attributes to be the guy attacking football great with young players they've sold a lot of their guys and they continue to be well so it might get people a little bit excited but you're not going to get slaughter nigelsman before the end of the year so i don't think i think there's no way nigelsman ends up there with the current situation i think enrique's leaning towards chelsea pochettino might try and grab him but if, I, I, i'm but he can only have one right so if chelsea gets enrique it gets uh then what do we then nigelsman what's his other choice I don't know. I think something might be brewing at PSG. I can't see Nagelsmann going there. I don't. Think he wants to but I, don't I can't see Nagelsmann. Yeah, but I think maybe Enrique would. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't see how he he ends up at Spurs. I would absolutely, obviously, love him. I think he's already. I think he got off of the job and he said no. So I don't think he's going to go there because I think he's baking on Chelsea. But if he doesn't go to Chelsea, we might be a great two, three-year option for him because I don't think he wants to go back to yeah. a Bayern Munich level club. And all PSG is is a babysitting job. It's so a well-paid babysitting job, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think. But he's at a crucial point. Not a crucial point because he's so young. But he has that wonder kid moniker. He needs to keep that right now. Spurs oh, yeah. might be a situation where it's too like too much is in flux. You don't know who the director of football is. You don't know if Kane's staying. All of that. The toxicity you can flip if if you come in and galvanize everybody. So we might not be the the place for him to to go either. But the fact that we haven't even got back to Poch and as an option is like Levy needs to get out of operating soccer decisions. Great business on business side. He needs to get out on the soccer side. What do you move it on? Cause I know we both got to run, but what do you think about palace? Been unbelievable. Yeah. Three in a row. Yeah. Just three in a row. That first one, when Hodgson took over a little bit of the late winter, I think it kind of galvanized the group. I think it must've been a little bit of a toxic, Toxic might be a strong word, but it I think might they be a little bit of a under, I think they stopped buying into what Vera was trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Player selection and dis- tactics. Yeah, disconnect and and he seems a little bit moody. You know, some of the after the performances, he was straight to the referee to to plead his case, and and I really think that some of his substitutions and some of the tactics that um, he put out there, he should have maybe reflected on that a little bit more. So it looks like it's just Grandpa's running the show, not to like you know poke fun at his age, but he's just like the feel good factor, right? He believes in his guys, puts them out there in their best positions, he backs them, a little bit of support, and they they look like they're they're 
finding their form again at the perfect time because they were starting to get a little bit tight there towards the bottom. Eze looks like he's he's buzzing again. I really like him. I think he could be he could be quality, and it, it's good to have a manager who you know can maybe put his arm around him. And and Hodgson's been around and and seen a lot of things, so I think he's the the, the perfect fit right now. Yeah, I think it, it just seemed like. Like, Eze wasn't getting a lot of minutes under Vieira. He had that really bad Achilles injury last year. Before that, he looked like, you know, unbelievable attack. Like, this unbelievable attack player who was so good at connecting the middle third to the final third and creating chances, guiding through players, unbelievable shots from range, great pass to the ball, great little, uh, creative little cutbacks and diagonal passes. And just uh, looked always very relaxed and like it was very easy for him. And Achilles is a major you know, major, major injury and really tough to come back to, especially for a guy that's dependent on dribbling past people. But I think, you know, a combination of him just coming back into the side and it looks like he has confidence under Hodgson where Hodgson, you know, it looks like they're trying to basically get the ball to Elise and say, listen, create space on the wing, um, get these balls out to him. Elise, try to commit someone, beat someone. And then Eze kind of comes in, Elise is out on the wing. Eze just kind of, uh, is they try to find that little half space and then they find him the ball and then he create and then they find the forward up top. And so it looks like they have those guys working together really, really well and trying to force the play through a lot of them. I think the thing for Palace was how do you going to replace Connor Gallagher? And yeah. the box to box he was, the goals that he was, the assists he was. And I think the thought process from Palace was Eze was supposed to be that dude. He was supposed to come in and maybe not the defensive work rate of Gallagher, but offensively where those goals and assists were coming from, that was supposed to be Eze and that never happened. And I think that was a huge hole that Palace had all year and they couldn't figure out how to fill it. And now now that he's getting integrated back in the team and, they're, and I think as a player when – the tactical setup is focused through you and we want to get you the ball and you hear the manager talking about players looking up, trying to find you, right? Like that builds a lot of confidence in you. I remember this story that like Rio Ferdinand said on some podcast about how that Alex Ferguson said when they got Van Persie, it was like, he said that everyone's job was to find Van Persie. If you don't find him, you're going to sit because he's going to win us the league. And every time Skull's got a ball, didn't look up and find Van Persie on one of those runs. Rooney got the ball, didn't find Van Persie on those runs. Ferguson would be on him, right? And Van Persie talked about how much confidence that gave him, right? And Van Persie was like the best striker in the league at the time. It still feels confidence. So I think it's something similar where they're trying to force the play through and you see him kind of coming coming to life and galvanizing this group. I don't think they're going to continue to win out, but I think they're not, yeah. definitely got out of the relegation battle. And I think they'll be strong through the end of the year tough team to beat and and they've been been really really fun to watch offensively and defensively they've they've really gotten a lot tighter gay and anderson started to play a lot better i think they were that defensive pairing james tom james tompkins when he was in looks like past it as well and so like they're, they're starting to really all sort it out and it's almost like uh Hodgson's just kind of reset back to basics and i think Vera's is yeah. on the toxicity side but yeah, great players, I think, have that. I think Jared had that too, right? Where it's like when things aren't going well, they get almost too down and too frustrated. And as a player, you can do that. But as a manager, you can't. And again, like, why aren't you yeah. guys playing? Like, why aren't you doing the things I can do type of thing? Yeah. And it was almost like... Lampard. Yeah, all of them have been like... And that's that's why so few of them, I think, translate to great managers. But it's like Hodgson's almost got them back to basics, believing in a, in a more maybe simple system and, and, and has, them, has them ticking. And I wouldn't want to run into them kind of rest of the year, especially the confidence they have moving forward. That second goal that Eze scored, that bomb from the outside of the box, like classic Eze and like shows what he can do. And I think there's just going to be more of that on the way. Yeah. 
it's going to be important. Their their next manager. I hope they get someone a little bit more attacking minded. I can see them going after like a Brendan Rodgers or someone like that. That'd be that. a great fit. Um, that makes a ton. Yeah, I don't think, think about that. That makes a ton of sense. I think that would be a good That's fit. That's two things that you said think. today that have been. I know. Insightful. I know. It's it's crazy. I usually just steal them from things I see elsewhere and then just try to pawn them Episode. off as my own. So there's no <laughs> such thing as original thought. There's no such thing as original thought. <laughs> Episode um, five and Joe Salem tripping in and unbelievable. Yeah, there we go. We'll have to edit that one and just put that on loop. But yeah, I think that could be a good fit because he can organize them defensively, but also they, they play decent stuff early doors with Leicester. They, they move the ball around. You have someone like Jamie Vardy, who was their focal point. You know, obviously Crystal Palace with Zab top if he stays and um, as they underneath a little bit or out wide. So I think the next manager for them is super important. I mean, they're perennials in, in, in 12th place, but the right kind of manager with that young team and a little bit of uh, some veteran guys on there and one or two buys. I think they could sneak their way up the table. So I think that's a, another big appointment to keep an eye out for. Yeah, they should be like Villa. I mean, that's what they were both buying to be, right? Like good steps last year, and then this was supposed to be the next step forward. But it doesn't always work kind of that that smoothly. But like you said, it's like the next the next manager needs to put the right system in place for these guys, and they need to be really shrewd in the transfer market. I think they keep Zaha. Yeah. I think Zaha is like they're going to want you know, 80, yeah. 90 mil. No one's going to pay that. Yeah. I think he's the lifer there now. And then you just need to build intelligence around Zaha, at least a – as a and then Anderson at the back, gay yeah, like that's a very very good core. That's a very yeah. very good sign of that team. And so you look at that that squad and what you could potentially build around. You know, Decore as the six again. I think you see like the six is such we talked about earlier such a determining factor in the way the Premier League is evolving. Probably need to make like a smart buy there. But Tyrone Mitchell, gay yeah, like that's a great defensive unit. So I think they have a lot a lot to. To, to work with there. Sam Johnson's a really good young keeper, you know, former United keeper. Yeah. So maybe you buy, you probably need to buy a six. They just give Jordan Ayew a new contract. I've never loved Jordan Ayew. You think you, you yeah. can get a little bit up. We have one more attacking yeah. player, but that's, I think they're, they're close with the right, with the right uh, system of team. And you saw what Connor Gallagher, one guy can make all the difference. Right. And so, be really interesting to see where they where they go from next year. Yeah, if they can snag a low knee or two as well, I think that. And they're not in yeah. Europe, you know. They can focus on the league and and try to move up. Who do they? They can maybe go get some from the Chelsea fire sale. Yeah, or maybe Connor Gallagher going back. I see Pulisic going there. Yeah, that could be. Oh, that if if they could get him, that'd be an unbelievable situation for him. Putting him on the wing instead of Ayu, him Zaha and Elise yeah. up top. That could be really interesting. Yeah. Three yeah. insightful things. Two. There you go. Wow. Who's keeping track? Yeah, unbelievable. Um, we're going to <laughs> get the editor to put a little score counter in the top. Yeah, there's going to be like a little a ding, ding that goes off, a little alarm. <laughs> ding. <laughs> then United, and then let, we can move on to quick preview of next week. But quick recap of the time. Yeah, I don't have time for the preview, unfortunately. But um, Tell the kids to United, wait. Yeah, United. Coach Joe's busy. Let them watch. That, let them um, live audience. We yeah, do our first live show. <laughs> All the kids in the back on their phone and sleeping, like the like the overlap, like Gary Neville and Roy Keane does. They do a live yes. show in a in a yeah. in a little concert venue. We could do that. Not that hard. Yeah, United, right? Uh, Erickson and Casemiro, and back in and and 
both uh, well Erickson looking healthy and Casimir looking like he's he's still in form even after the suspension so we talked about it last time he's got to be able to get some something out of Martial Anthony some of those guys up top and he, he got something out of Anthony this week he, he looks super dangerous he still looks a little bit he gets a little bit too goofy for me like towards the end of the game um, I'd like to see a little bit more of that professionalism or just a little bit of seeing that game out because we've seen you know multiple times how things can change pretty quickly I mean not in him force isn't super dangerous but I think Casemiro is, is a good balance to, to some of that stuff that goes on on that team and yeah he got something out of Anthony Marshall missed that I think it was the wide open header at the far post but he looks like he's putting himself in good spots again so I think United are, are buzzing right now we'll see how they handle Europa League they had that last second uh, they gave up the last second goals to, to to draw but the next four games are going to be big for them yeah I think I just think United are going to be so dangerous next year as this team Erickson and Casemiro have more time to bet in. Casemiro coming in late. Erickson's, you know, first season back, obviously, and then with the injury. He's been so they're, impressive. Yeah, they're a different team with those two. I mean, huge miss for Spurs not getting Erickson. That's the exact player we miss, right? Somebody that's the metronome that that establishes rhythm of play and can pass through the lines. He was so good at getting the ball on the half turn and passing through the lines to find Sancho, Fernandez, Martial, and I just love how he plays so many penetrating balls and not side to side and so creative and what a miss us not getting him. But him and Casemiro are the perfect partnership. And I think they're just a different team with those two. Casemiro, like you said, so professional. He's that six, like we talked about, like all those other great team has that, that mm-hmm. uh, really cleans everything up and settles that team down, but also is so efficient at winning the ball back. And he gives Erickson the freedom to do even more of what he wants to do going forward. So I think as long as those two can stay healthy, now that's a little bit of an aging midfield for sure, but they still look like they have it. Um, and I think next year they'll be fine. But it'll be interesting to see who they buy to kind of be the next guys under underneath that. And I think McTominay is going to benefit a lot learning from those those two guys. Anthony, I still just don't. I think 100 mil for Anthony still looks uh, ridiculous. I think he has... You know, ability, but when you look at like we talked about with Martinelli, with Saka, with Matoma, some of these guys, it is, I run it directly at you, I beat you, I play a really creative cross, or I can finish. It's not Cristiano Ronaldo when he's 18 years old, step over, step over, spin on the ball, all this BS that really doesn't do anything. Anthony seems to have that direct, ruthless quality, but they need to continue to bring it out in him, and I don't think he's nearly, nearly there yet. The other thing for United that I've been so impressed with is Aaron Wambasaka. I mean, when, you know, under the previous manager, it was like, the waste, is he going to be good enough? Da, 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 da. And he's just come on and look like a really top class outside back with the ball defensively, unbelievable timing of tackles. You know, they look really deep in those positions with him, Shaw, Dallow. Um, so he's, he's really come on a lot as well. I think United's going to be tough to beat. And I've always said Martial. Martial's just never lived up to his hype. He should be 10 times better than he is, and he has that yeah. ability. But with Rashford out... And I'm, you know, I, don't, I don't know why they like work right so much, but it'll be interesting to, yeah. to see uh, Martial continue to lead the line here and, and so you can build up. But I think they're going to be tough at the end of the year. I think they, they secure third spot. And another very, like you saw, just in-control performance. And again, Forrest isn't the, the watermark you, you guide them against, but as a Spurs fan, I don't want to go play United right now. Yeah, I think what Wambasaka does, especially well now, uh, when he's evolved the biggest in his game, is he's able to get higher up in the attack, and he's a little bit of that outlet. So when they do need to go sideways and swing it a little bit, it's where Spurs break down a lot, right? It gets into that next level, and they go back, and then there's no way to get out of it. They just end up going back more sideways. He can step up a little bit higher and connect passes, and it's not just going back to Maguire. It's going always into the six, into Casemiro's feet. He's able to play Fernandez, who gets into really good spots. Rashford, when he's healthy, he's looking 
to slip people in or Martial does a pretty good job of either taking defenders away and coming back to the ball or vice versa. So that for me has been big for them. I thought Diogo Dallo played really played out of his mind that game. He's got the goal. He just yeah. looked very hungry. Maguire took the early yellow card and, and you know, that was concerning, but he, he held on um, and played pretty well. Obviously he's not the, the long-term solution there, but when they need him, he's, he's, he's a good um, option um, for the time being. He, look, he looks a lot more confident on the ball. That's a good thing. Ten Hag is that he yeah. brought a lot of confidence in the – you saw Rafa Rash with the confidence, Wambasaka on the ball, Dallow on the ball. That's a great thing that I think Ten Hag has really got everyone believing in. Again, these great managers get people buying into their systems and their abilities, right? And that, hey, I'm trusting yeah. you to play with us in the system and that they believe they can excel within that system. And I think he's done a great yeah. job of that. But you talk about their run-in. I There's mean, no- it is rough. Yeah, Brighton a couple times, even in Europa League against Sevilla, right? That they they tied. They have Sevilla. Game. They have Sevilla on Thursday. They have Brighton at the weekend in the FA Cup. Now they win that. That's a very difficult FA Cup semifinal because Brighton, as we know, like. But they win that. You think the confidence That'd be a great board game. that gives them? Yeah, unbelievable game. And Brighton, you know, it's the biggest game you think in Brighton's last. You know, since they got promoted, like you know you know, last 20 to 30 years, something like that. And then they have United, then they have Villa, then they have Brighton in the league. West Ham will be fighting for their lives. Wolves will be fighting for their lives. Bournemouth could be relegated by the last kind of section of last week in the season, but really tough run in, but they're so, they're so deep. That's the people think forget about United. They're so deep, even though they have these injuries. And so it'll be interesting. I think Maguire and Lindelof, do they hold up during this run? Right. Cause like Varane and Martinez have been so good. Do, can those two hold up who have been under so much scrutiny during this run? I think that's going to be the interesting thing for United. Yeah, and um, I was blanking earlier when I was talking about getting a tune out of Martial and Anthony. I was thinking about uh, the third was was Sancho, and he was better on the day. I, I still think that he needs to, to provide more because um, he showed glimpses, that, not glimpses. He did it pretty consistently in the Bundesliga with with Dorman for so long, and he was a guy that Manchester you know sought for for you know, two or three years before they finally brought him over. So I think he could be the final missing piece um, in terms of waiting to get Rashford back healthy. Um, if he can come in on, on the outside and, and, and move some, you know, find find better spots and, and link up with Fernandez a little bit, I think that just takes a little bit of pressure off of the back the back four, especially Maguire and, and, and Lindelof, because they can control the ball in the center of the park and switch the point of attack when they need to. It just breaks down a little bit too much, too often with Sancho. I think he tries to get a little it's bit too, too slow on the ball. Take, it's too slow. He tries to. He always is trying to size people up to take them on. His first thought is dribble, which is fine. You know, he's 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 super dangerous when that happens. But it just in this league, you can't you can't eat that much time because people slide over and they just kill the space. So that's the interesting thing a little bit with Sancho. Proactive. It's like in Germany. The level, the Bundesliga is a much more transitional back and forth league. So you have more space yeah. and a little bit more time because mm-hmm. you're playing in these transitions. And so everyone's like catching up to you. I can take two, three touches, meg you, whatever. In the Premier League, the guys that do it well, it's, it's get the ball. If you do slow it, you got to move it, right? So we talked about these great attacking players, Arsenal and Toma, and pick out who you, even Grealish, who isn't like pacey or anything, right? He's still, once he touches, beat you or put my foot on the ball and then move it back to Gundogan and we recycle it. Right. Sancho, I think it's just too much stops the ball, like lifts one leg up and is like trying to figure out how yeah. to beg or like jink by somebody, but it's too late by that point. And he's got to learn to be more dynamic and quick to either pass it or beat the player because he has the ability to do it. It just takes way too long. And like you said, it really slows things down. And so they got to figure out how to, for him to evolve into this, to this league. 
because there's they have a lot of other like you think about Garnacho coming behind him is the exact opposite. He's just going to run at you and and be dynamic. Mm-hmm. I'd play Garnacho if he was healthy over him all day long. And so I think mm-hmm. maybe that pressure yeah. on Sancho will help him evolve. But I think that's a good point that you know things really do break down against him right now. This issue. Yeah, it was like playing with you in men's league. It just breaks down every time he gets. It's so slow. Just immediate run like, back. Why, why, can't just, why yeah. can't he just pass the ball? Yeah. Um, when it goes to Jake, game, get ready for counter press. <laughs> <laughs> last game, Liverpool leads um, yesterday six one. A couple of the early mistake there from from Liverpool when they were up two zero and uh, made it two to one. But other than that, it was it was pretty much open and shut from from back into form the 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 goal scores more the kind of the same though in terms of the up and down for them sometimes they're raging hot and they've scored five or six goals and plus several times but leads look like they're in a little bit of trouble now as soon as the pressure's off liverpool when they go up a couple goals they're fine (laughs) and they look great but i think it's more about like when teams get stretched or just aren't compact with the back six i think it's a problem like when they tore apart united and it's just uh, the center midfields and, and and the back four just were not in sync that day and they can pick they can still pick apart those spaces when they get against teams who are really competent and drilled defensively disciplined on the day I think they run into issues you know Leeds I think it's just a great matchup for Liverpool right if you look at the last couple you know they shipped five to Palace mm-hmm. who's back in form uh, be a non-force team but then shipped four to Arsenal uh, before that so they've been in this if you think one two three four so in the last four games 15 16 goals against right and so they have against the team like Liverpool to pick them apart. I don't know if it's Liverpool back and form. I think it was a good matchup for Liverpool and uh, they got some early and, and they got the confidence flowing. Uh, Leeds is is really running out of time to figure this out though. And I think uh, yeah. they this, this has got to be a real wake-up call for, for them, right? I mean, they are two points out of the relegation zone. Two points out of the relegation zone, two points behind West Ham, and who, who's in 15th, but West Ham has a game in hand on them. And, you know, the, the one thing you cannot do at this time of the year is ship goals, right? Like, most times mm-hmm. teams are sometimes scoring, and that's why you're down there, but you really, really got to tighten yeah. it up. So, you know, Fulham, who's been a very on and off, that could be an interesting game to potentially get on track. But then if you look after that Fulham game, Leicester City, six-point relegation battle. Bournemouth, six-point relegation battle. City is going to be in the title race. Newcastle is going to be in the top four race. Then they go to... Then it's West Ham, who will be a, maybe a relegation battle. Maybe West Ham's out of that point. But yeah. I think these next really three games before they get to City and Newcastle, this, you know, Leicester and Bournemouth, Fulham, like, they got to tighten it up defensively or they could easily, easily slip into that to that last relegation spot. So yeah. it's going to be... Uh, they have to hold They have to hold court at home. Um, it has to be a place where they they get points. And it, we talked about it a little bit. It, it could have been, you know, try to get three points. But now for me, they just got to take they just got to take points when they can get them. Um, even if it's draws at, at home, they need points bad. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be really, really interesting. It'll be a fun, fun weekend. Two good FA Cup semifinals as, as well. And so we'll, we'll be back to, to recap it all with brilliant insights. Joe's going to go for four yes. insights next yes. week to beat the three from this week. Yes. So uh, tune in next week to see if Joe can reach new heights. New heights on the Team Fix <laughs> Itself podcast. But uh, yeah, I don't think he can do it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, that's we'll the be, that's uh, the real over. That's the real over under. Yeah, can, <laughs> can I have original it? thought? five smart things to say in one hour <laughs> but yeah this is a highlight of my week as always and uh and we'll be at you guys next week and uh, have a fun time watching the game this weekend